I have a problem, guys. Every morning, the first thing I think about doing is going to my phone and cleaning out my inbox. Because yes, being organized gives me a sense of peace, a sense of calm, really. But it's also a huge waste of time. Honestly, I'm tuckered out. See what I did there? From trying to get to the inbox zero status. Thankfully, there is a sane solution to this. Sane Box is the easiest way to automatically organize your inbox and keep it that way forever. Sane Box sorts your emails for you, keeping unimportant emails out of your inbox. You know, with subject lines like youareawinner.com, so you can focus on what really matters. With just a few clicks, Sane Box automatically gets your email under control and makes keeping it that way forever super easy. It also has some sweet features like one-click unsubscribe, which sends annoying emails into the aptly named black hole, and automatic tracking of messages that haven't received replies so you can see what needs following up. See how SaneBox can help you reclaim your time and attention with a free two-week trial. Visit SaneBox.com slash tuckered out today to start your free trial and get a $35 credit. That's S-A-N-E-B-O-X dot com slash tuckered out. Hello, hello. Welcome to Tuckered Out with me, Ami Tucker. All right, guys, fall is here. Kids are back in school, hopefully. Life is getting back into the insane routine we all seem to have nowadays. And of course, with that comes all the day-to-day stresses, which tends to equal not taking care of ourselves, especially to all you mamas out there. This is why I had to talk to my friend, Anita Mirchandani, who is a registered dietitian, a certified fitness professional, and a prenatal postnatal exercise specialist. And the woman even bakes. I swear to God, she can do so many things. Anita also maintains current fitness certifications in indoor cycling, kickboxing, group exercise, and personal training. As of June 2014, Anita represents the New York State Dietetic. Did I say that right? Dietetic Association as a media spokesperson. Most recently, Anita consults on all things nutrition related for food and beverage startups. Needless to say, guys, she knows her stuff. And we talk about all the ways that we need to take care of ourselves, especially through diet. And of course, touch on all those fun genetic diseases that South Asians tend to have. Please enjoy my interview with Anita Mirchandani. Let's start kind of in Texas, right? So we all know everything's bigger in Texas and portions are larger and we definitely enjoy our food there. So I guess growing up, what was your diet and lifestyle like? Yeah. um, So we're South Indian. So my mom and my mom is, um, you know, she's prides herself in cooking. Like she cooked 
almost every meal. We probably did like one night a week. We went to like a local restaurant um, and that was like our you know treat. But she would cook predominantly three course meals that would have, you know, a starch, which was usually white rice and then lentils, which was usually, you know, with some vegetables and then a couple of vegetables on the side. And we would, you know, we would do course by course and, you know, she would give us the portion. She would just put a portion on our plate mix it all up and we were just expected to eat it and i mean we knew i didn't know any better than that and it was just growing up um and in terms of activity to complement that we were active i mean we lived in a house we were on we learned to ride our bikes early we were always playing with the neighbors running around you know there was no issue with me and my sister you know playing sports or being active but you know not understanding the the portions as you're growing up um also we grew up in the 80s and you know sort of in conjunction with this three course meal with a lot of rice was like the soda the unlimited refills the frito-lay was like hitting it big so it was like chips up the wazoo so i was you know i was I mean, I just, we just snacked a lot. We just, yeah. had, we would eat a lot, then we would snack a lot. We would exercise, but it was just never in the right formula. Right. I was in Texas last week and I was just talking to my brother and we realized, because both of us now are, are obviously more conscious about everything. Sure. We literally would eat Pop-Tarts, mm-hmm. like Oreo cookies. Mm-hmm. What, what else was there? Like just Eggos, like those Lego. Like, oh my, those. Wait, first the Bisco treats. Yeah. We, we, we would eat all of that in every day, like in one day. Like I remember going to school and eating like Nutter Butter bars for lunch. You probably had cereal, like every cereal that you could imagine. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah cereal. Meal. And yeah. that was healthy. Like Lucky Charms was healthy. It was like, that was my healthy meal. Apple Jacks and like, because it was Apple. Jacks. apple. So you thought like let's eat you apple jacks. Do you remember those frozen orange juices? Like it was in a can. You would in the freezer. You take it out. You dump it, and then you put water Especially, in it. Mix yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. Normal. Totally. I, I can't believe I'm alive right now. I know. This is what I'm saying. Like I feel like we. So as South Asians, right? We have our genetic predisposition, which nobody knows when they're 12, and right. then you know you just grow up listening to your parents because then you're just going to get in trouble if you don't. Right. And then you have your environment, which you're peer pressured into like doing. So we were screwed. Yeah, up. I know. <laughs> and also, like I think for our parents. Not that they didn't know anything, but they weren't really aware of this portion control idea. No. They didn't. They didn't grow up with that in no. India. You know, they weren't like, "Oh my God, this is you know too much sugar, too much this." And so I think, at least for my mom, and I'm sure for your parents, they were providing home cooked meals, good food, totally good food, right? So that to them was healthy. Yeah, you know, it wasn't about portion control or Nothing. balancing anything out. Um, again, worst. I don't. I don't know how I'm in one piece. Okay, so then, did you go to UT? You did, right? No, I went to NYU. So NYU. I, I, okay. Yeah, yeah. I left for um, college. Okay, and then what did you study there? <laughs> My undergrad. Long story short, I ended up majoring in Spanish. If you look at the diploma, it was a BA in Spanish. Nice. Um, it was liberal. It was liberal arts. So okay. It, not, I do speak fluent Spanish. Like I utilize it in my job today, but yeah, uh, yeah, that, that wasn't what I thought I was gonna do. <laughs> got <laughs> it, got it. it. Yeah. Well, it is very useful. Like I've been in Texas half totally. of my life and still don't yes. know it. So then you applied to the 2008 NYU's dietetic and master's program in clinical nutrition. Yeah. So, so how did that happen? Like, what prompted you to apply? And then, second part. 
is how did that start changing your relationship with food? Yeah. So I graduated in 2004. Um, even though I majored in Spanish, my, my interest was always something related to marketing. My, my father's a marketing professor and we've always just had that, I guess, in the background. So it was, I'm, I'm always interested in it. Um, and so I got different corporate jobs that were marketing focused. Um, and one of the jobs had like a program where employees could get a stipend and get certified or get, you know, additional education, utilize the stipend for something, you know, enriching. Uh, for me at the time, I was really interested in fitness modalities. Like I was hitting up all the different gyms. I would like create a schedule based on the instructor that was going to be teaching the you know, the cardio kickbox. Um, and it was New York right. sports club in, in New York city at the time that was like bumping. So, you know, I would just, and then I ended up becoming friends with some of these instructors. And, you know, one of them was like, you come here all the time. You, you have, you know, you have great form. You're really interested. Why don't you just get certified in teaching, you know, indoor cycling, spinning. So I was like, sure. Um, and then that led to like, that's like crack. So it's like, when you get certified in one, you want to get certified in all of them. So it was like, let's go into cycling and let's do personal training. Let's do, um, you know, group fitness conditioning classes right. in like the gym. So I could do all strength training classes. Um, and, you know, I would get questions asked to me like, Hey, you know, I'm, you know, this age, I work this many hours. I come to class, I'm not losing weight. What should I eat? How do I complement this workout? And I would be like, I don't know like what to tell you because I, this is what I do. Right. Um, but I'm not sure it's going to work for you. And I right. don't know, like I was talking to you know my husband about it and he was like, I think you should consider going back to um, school for, for nutrition. I'm like, I don't know. Do people do that? Like, is that, a, so I, I, you know, I didn't even, it didn't even occur right. to me like nutrition. Right. It was like, well, a, we didn't grow up thinking that would be an option, right? No, no. Right. It was like engineering, you know, law, Lawyer, doctor, finance, mm -hmm. maybe mm -hmm. now. Um, mm -hmm. So so I, 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 you know, went back to my alma mater and like talked to the program and just applied. You had to take some science courses, um, which I had done like as prerequisites. Um, and I applied right. and I got in uh, right away. And, you know, it's a four year commitment. So it's, you know, three years of it's two years of like this dietetic program, which basically gets you to get all the classes in like organic chemistry, biochemistry, food science, um, you know, things like that. And then you go into um, master's, you kind of roll into, if you apply into the NYU program, you roll into your master's. Um, okay. So in between that, you you get an internship where you work at a hospital. So you get matched. Um, okay. So you basically so have it's kind to, of like a med program. I mean, it, it is as intense. I mean, it's, it's four a, years. It's a four-year commitment. And right. you, you don't, I mean- Let's not even talk about the ROI. <laughs> so at the time, but um, so yeah, you you get you actually apply to different programs and you get matched. And I I matched. I remember being matched at um, New York Presbyterian Hospital. Um, so it was New York Presbyterian Hospital, Cornell, Columbia, um, all the affiliates. And I was a little okay. bummed because I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be worked like crazy. But on the flip, one would say you matched at the best internship in all of USA. I was going to say, isn't that one of the best? It is literally okay. the best. It, they just, you just get clinically trained. Like they right. really, really make you understand right. what a person is going through scientifically and then what nutrition really can do. Okay. Um, and so, so yes, I learned, I mean, I absolutely learned on the job. Um, so I completed the internship, I completed my master's and then, you know, took the exam and became an RD uh, by 2011. Did you know when you were doing it, like this was it, you loved it? 
Yes, I I think it was really um, eye opening for me because I did not realize how much I enjoyed evidence based. So like cause and effect, like you have high cholesterol, if you eat fiber, it could lower your cholesterol. And it's right. like, there's evidence. And so it was cool to me because I was like, there's so many things out there that have evidence based knowledge. And so this cause and effect phenomenon, I mean, if we can learn that way, and we have proof. Um, and that food can be something of, you know, a preventative mechanism. Um, and we can have find a way to like help us understand how to help us our like clinical outcomes better. This is, this is my calling. Right. So, um, yeah, I was, I definitely became super, super passionate about it. Oh, lucky you. That's, that's <laughs> all you can ask for. Um, and then I really quickly wanted to talk about, you had mentioned to me, was it you and your husband that launched India's first Greek yogurt? I, he, in 2015? I, okay. So he wanted to embark on a, he's a very creative person and he wanted to embark on a creative journey, um, you know, and he was working with an ice cream brand that when you realize ice cream is asked, like the same ingredients that make ice cream can make Greek yogurt. But, you know, at the time, India's population didn't really understand. I mean, everyone makes yogurt in India. So for, right. I guess for many people, they would, you know, they couldn't rationalize why would I go to a store and buy yogurt. Um, so I helped him with the nutrition communication side of it to kind of help people understand how it differentiates between home yogurt and Greek yogurt. Right. Also because it was a, you know, consumer product good that was available at the time, India was also growing in terms of like grocery store concepts, right? online delivery concepts, like, you know, like the fresh directs of here where they had like the big baskets over there. And so it was like, you could actually place an order in your cart and get it delivered. And as a result, these products became more popular because you know, you could just get it ordered right to your doorstep. That concept was very new. So to educate, I, I helped educate local dietitians in Mumbai. Part I just, you know, found the organizations that had, you know, big groups and they were interested in learning more. Um, and so it was very heavily embraced by the nutrition society, like the dietetics and like even the nutrition science because they were like, this is so cool. There's a Greek yogurt. There is a right. nutrition label. It tells you how many grams. It tells you what the calories are. It tells you what the protein is, what the calcium is. So you can literally say, hey, take this as a healthy snack. You know, majority of Indians, I don't even know what the percentage is right now. And it's above 80% are vegetarian. Right. So, you know, this is a healthy vegetarian um, snack that right. you could complement your day with. And protein is always a big thing with Indians because, you know, we are the third largest population to suffer from diabetes. And unfortunately, rice and dal is not what, what, we, consider, <laughs> what we were told to eat growing up. It's, it's, yeah. It is healthy, but it, we don't eat the portion we're supposed to eat. So if we ate right. the portion we're supposed to eat, we wouldn't have this issue. Okay. But, you know, given the fact of that there's so much lack of portion knowledge, this was kind of like a really great healthy solution. Right. So did you, when you were there, did you see Indians there caring more about diet and trying to understand portion control and meeting more dietitians that were based there? Is that happening more and more? Oh, yes. Nutrition science is, is becoming more and more popular in India, for okay. sure. Okay. I think what's interesting is that everybody is fascinated by nutrition, especially the Indians that I that I would meet, like, you know, like I would meet my sons, you know, my son was in different programs and I would meet local moms who'd be like, oh, you're a dietitian. I'd love to ask you X, Y, and Z. But ultimately lifestyle plays a huge role in how that's going to play out. Like you could eat the healthiest food 
but you're eating because typically the culture there is they right. do everything a little bit later. So, right. you know, they start their days later and they end their days later. It's like and, Europe, right? Like yeah. European. Yes. Right. But like our bodies and, but that have, you know, our bodies are inherently following a circadian rhythm. So we, we might wake up, like our eyes might get up, like open up at seven, our alarm clock might go off at like seven, but our bodies have been awake since the sunrise. Right. So they're used to functioning and our bodies sort of start slowing down closer to sunset. sunset. So even if you are eating like a salad, you know, and, and nutritiously at like eight thirty, and I'm talking about like every day consistently, your body is not going to process it the right. way that it wants to, because it's kind of like you're making it work overtime. Right. So the Indians didn't understand that concept because to them, they're like, who eats dinner and goes out before like eight? So Anita, do you think that's changed over the years? Because from what we've learned, you know, from our, our cultural classes and all this stuff, I feel like Indian Indians were on that kind of a routine where, you know, it's about waking up early with the sun, setting with us. That's kind of part of our culture for a mm-hmm. long time. It's just changed over the years, right? Isn't that true? Or uh, maybe maybe with the British coming in, I don't know. But I know originally, according to like religious books, that's part of it. Yeah, I I would say that maybe some of it has changed. Okay. Um, you know, it's hard because you can't generalize the entire population. Right, right. You've got the educated who are like professionally involved and it depends on their schedule. I mean, it's a very hardworking culture and society. Right. So you can't knock that. And when right. you're working so hard, sometimes you forget about eating when you're supposed to. Of course. You can't worry about portion control when you're just trying to make it day by day. Yes, exactly. Right, exactly. right, right. What's your just straight opinion on this? Like, why do you think Indians, I have to say generally more in India, are more sediment? Like, why aren't they more active? Why aren't sports... I guess more important over there. You know, I think it's just um, the environment and the infrastructure. So, right. uh, at least from what I learned, you know, coming from a really active lifestyle growing up, and then li- when I was living in New York and being able to do my time back and forth between Mumbai and New York, um, and having my my first son travel with me back and forth, we the idea of like going for a walk while it does exist in certain parts in certain urban areas of right. each city. It is not what someone would just like do inherently do. Like, let me just walk to your building. Like, let me just walk over here. And it was really interesting because it's like how, you know, you know, in New York, you just, you walk to get coffee. You might walk to pick up your groceries, right? Everything there is car. So it's like, I do think that, you know, it's just more difficult to achieve what you want to achieve in that environment. It's not that they don't want to, it's not that they can't. That's why the growth of like these buildings with like that might have more amenities in the building or yeah. Yep. Or people creating some home gym concepts and having a trainer come home. Well, when I was going um, back and forth, they did have several gyms that were extremely popular. People would join them and go and they had tons of trainers. So that concept, I mean, all this, you know, was, is, is, and was very popular, uh, but it, it's also expensive. So the, there's just, you know, there's a lot of different challenges, I think, right. to, get to being healthy. Uh, India, I hope we can, we can't figure that country out. <laughs> okay. I want to go into the South Asian diaspora in general. So 
obviously there's a huge population of us. I know you mentioned diabetes. Mm -hmm. If you can sum it up, what are the top three, top two issues that most Indians genetically have to look, look out for? And then I guess on the opposite side of that, what do you think genetically South Asians are, I don't know how to even put the strongest at, what, what are our strongest health, <laughs> healthy points, you know, in terms of like what you've seen overall, which again, I know it's hard to sum up. Yeah. I mean, I would definitely say the two most uh, common chronic diagnoses that we see um, are diabetes and um, high cholesterol, um, hyperlipidemia. We see that in predominant, um, you know, it's it's what I would say is most South Asians have a genetic predisposition to it. Okay. Um, when it hits people is very different, but that was that is something that we we see, you know, time after time. In terms of the flip, I very rarely see micro and macronutrient deficiencies um, okay. in in South Asians. Interesting. I also, yeah, I also don't see I don't see hypertension specifically in you know, as, as like a majority, I mean, there are several South Asians that have hypertension, um, right. usually in conjunction with diabetes, but I, I don't see it, you know, in excess of growth. Yeah. Um, I would say, I mean, you know, I, I could probably generalize and might even say, I don't see a lot of infl inflammatory diseases, but that's, I think that's changing. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm feeling sure. that right now. So we'll talk about that later. So yeah. is there, is there any ex explanation for, you know, why is diabetes and cholesterol so high in our community? Or is it just because? I do think that everybody, every single human in every single era is born with a set of genes, right? And certain things activate that gene. And so for some people, you know, who might have eaten like my husband's ancestors grew up, you know, eating animal protein and, you know, could have even been on the hunter side where they were like, whatever they caught for the day would be what they would eat. Um, you know, and, but they were more active. There was less, you know, the, the lifestyle has changed. I do think as a whole, we have evolved in the last hundred years to become more sedentary. Right. It is a, it is a, you know, mechanism of action to put into your calendar to schedule exercise. It is not a means, it is an activity. So that was not how life was well, well back in the day. And I think that's everywhere in, in the world. So right. that has changed. Um, and so when we start, we basically don't optimize those genes to our side, things kick in and the body start moving. Like, for example, many people I know would just be like, oh, I didn't even realize I should eat early. I work from like nine to five, nine to six. By the time I get home, I make dinner, I sit down. It's like, this is, this is just a normal young professional. Right. Um, I eat at like, you know, 7.30. I might have a drink with that. I might stop eating at like nine. I might have dessert at like 9.30. And then I might go to bed at like 11. And it's like, hold up. So, yeah. you know, and that, that continues. And then all of a sudden they're like, they go to the doctor for their physical and the doctor's like, yeah, you were pre-diabetic. And they're just like, what? What? Did what? I mean? Yeah. So we all have it. Some, I mean, some of us obviously have better genes than others, but there is some innate trigger in all of us. I think that, um, and different life cycles and different phases of life. And of course, even stress can cause and sort of activate what might come you know, as we age. Yeah. I feel like the stress thing is, has gone to a different height the past in our generation. Um, Definitely. I also feel like 
going back to your previous example of, you know, a young professional having this crazy schedule, I feel like all of us, you know, at 20, 25, 30, when we're single, working, doing our thing and, and being social, feel invincible, mm-hmm. you know? And so that eat, late night eating and drinking and all that stuff doesn't affect us. But when you hit 40, um <clears throat> You're like, oh, that that's that's what this is the effect of. Or even stuff. 39. And then your body's like, Hold up. Here's what's gonna happen in your next 10 years. 40, your body's gonna be like, what's up? It's gonna knock. It's gonna knock. I know. <laughs> so then I also know you have a passion for women's health and yes. intuitive eating. So again, I know it's generalization, but if you could give your top three pieces of advice to South Asian women like myself on mm-hmm. how to eat well, which I know is like such a huge bucket, but maybe a few pointers. Yeah, no, I definitely, and, and this is stuff that I've practiced and I've learned over time. Right. Um, you know, the one thing, one of my top like biggest pieces of advice is I don't really encourage restrictive eating. I'm a big believer in balance. So if you have cravings that are chocolate or if you have savory cravings that are like chips, you you have to find a balanced approaches to incorporate them daily. Because when you undergo stress or you undergo change, your triggers, you know, they come out in, in, in most, most of the time it's through food. So we want to have those habits under control um, as much as we can. So I would say that like, if you like chocolate, you know, do research, find, you know, two or three brands of chocolate that you approve of, that you would be satisfied, that you would feel satiated. Um, Read a nutrition label and understand what a portion is and get that into routine. All right. I know, for example, I love semi-sweet morsels, like chocolate chips. It's like crack. So I will, it's a two, it's a tablespoon or two tablespoons. It's like 80 calories. I will scoop out two spoons and I will put it on a counter and I will eat the the portion. And that is my serving. And yeah. thus far, it has not negatively impacted or affected me. That's the key, right? What you just said is actually taking it out, putting yeah. it on a plate and then putting that rest of that damn bag away and, not, put, and not putting it on your lap while you're watching like, no, you know, whatever. And it should TV. be accessible to you once you like, it's like get, right. grab it and then move out of the kitchen. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, that's the other that's yeah, key. it's hard. Yeah. It's hard. I know, especially because the kitchen is like the forefront of like your location. Right. Um, but that would be my first piece of advice. My second okay. piece of advice is try not to get overwhelmed with everything that you read or hear and try to talk to somebody. And I would say that obviously the most suitable would be a registered dietitian, but really find what aspects of what you are hearing are most appropriate and suitable to you, your lifestyle, um, and your current health status. Because right. I think a lot of people come to me trying this or that. For example, the keto diet. Like it was, you know, a lot of South Asians try the keto diet because they're like, we eat rice and we need to stop. And it's like, okay, hold on. Look how much rice you're putting on your plate. It's like a cup, more than a cup of rice. Right. That's three it's times the portion. But but it's actually not like to somebody who looks at a measuring cup. It's actually like not that much rice. Like, sure. like it's just a cup of rice. Like what's the big deal? But like a portion of that is a third of it. One third cup cooked starch is a portion. I mean, that is so little, but sadly that is how we are supposed to be eating. But over time we've neglected and we haven't had the knowledge or like the, the push to understand how the plate should always be balanced. Right. Um, and so I think that's just re-educating ourselves, but you know, I would say that 
don't get overwhelmed by it and try to process it individually. So for me, I would, you know, take each scientific piece of advice that would come and I would be like, all right, how does this apply to me? Do I like rice? Yes. Okay. So now I know is brown rice better than white rice? Okay. Step by step. And right. then, okay. Now I know I can have a portion of brown rice. So I can definitely have like, you know, Indian chicken with that, or I can definitely have chicken teriyaki with that, or I can definitely do like a chicken bowl or, you know, but it doesn't mean I have to eliminate it. It doesn't mean I have to go cold Turkey and cut it off. So I think that that's, um, in conjunction with the first one is, you know, balance slash, you know, process it and make sure it's applicable to you, your individual status, your health, all of that. Um, you know, I think the third piece of advice is that nutrition is 80% of, you know, it has the most potency on our health. Um, so you could work out and you can be super active. I have tons of people come to me, but, you know, I exercise six times a week and I do like 45 minutes. And for some people it is a therapy. So I will not knock that. Right. But when you exercise and you are trying to lose weight and you're in that zone, you might think that you're burning more calories than you actually are. And you might not think you have to be more cognizant of what you eat when inherently, actually you could use it to your advantage and eat balanced and optimally and exercise and get that deficit in calories, which will accelerate weight loss. Right. But I think for a lot of people, they, they, they forget that nutrition is, um, you know, it has more potency. And so, for example, I had a lot of women coming to me in their mid thirties or post-pregnancy and they're like, I'm so busy. I have a kid or I have two kids now, or I have my kid and I have to balance work and I work from home and I can't get to the gym. And I'm always like, stop right there. You don't need to go to the gym. Let's just focus on meal prep, meal plan, portion control. And I think for them, they're like, you know, everybody wants quick results. So they're like, wait, what really? That can actually be. And of course, you know, having in all of this, having patience, because as we age, everything takes time. Right. I think that's the main, in hearing you talk at all, it's all making sense to me now that I'm in my 40s and I briefly mentioned to you like, God, I used to be able to eat whatever I wanted. And this is a story that I think a lot of people share. Eat whatever I wanted and work out and it'd be fine. It'd be fine. And then your body just switches, you know, and I think you have to reteach your stomach how to eat properly. And I'm finally on like, it's hitting me portion control. What I'm eating 80%, 80-20, right? It's 80% nutrition, 20% exercise. And, and like, again, for me, working out is a therapy. Like I need it just for like my mental well-being versus like my losing weight or whatever. Right. But I do think a lot of the reason that a lot of people do not take the time to figure out what their balance is, is time. Of course. It's all about it's it takes time to like eliminate, figure out not eliminate, but you know, figure out what makes sense, you know, figure out that balance. Trial and error. error. And no one wants to go through it. I mean, none of us have time, which is why a dietitian is key. Yes. Yes, but you know, even you know, I will say this, even with a dietitian, um, and we are I would say we are the trusted source. So we are the probably the most we would provide you the most individualized, accurate information that will that will work for your body but then you have to implement it. So it's like, that's like the stress on your end because it's like, oh gosh, how am I going to do all this? How am I going to make it work? And that is all comes back to like time, patience, you know, and in, 
and the 30s into the 50s, this demographic of people, it is a very, it's not on our side. So. No, none of us have it. And none <laughs> all, I mean, we should. And like, like my mom always says, why are you always so stressed? I'm like, you just don't get it. But like, yeah, why can we not step back? I mean, nutrition is, like you said, 80% of who we are. Yeah. <laughs> and what that's what's going to keep us going or not going. And then do you have any... I have a feeling that I know the answer to this, but do you have any set rules of like, without question, do not eat this and this equation will work every time or you must always eat this? Do you have any of those like stringent rules on anything? Um, I will say that a few things. One, you you can't go into life eating as many fruits as you want. Fruits because I grew up, my mom was like, but it's a fruit. And yeah. I'm like, yep, totally. Well, but fruits have sugar. And it's like, until you realize that, like, she'd be like, oh, I eat like full fruits in the morning. First thing, empty stuff. My, my mom was like, it's sugar from God. Yeah. I'm like, I know. And I she's know. like, and, and you know, I'm just, I'm just pre-diabetic. I'm like, no, stop. So, you know, I would say that fruits have a portion. So definitely portion out your fruits. It's, it's a one half cup portion. Um, I would, I would suggest to my clients, and even including myself, just max two portions a day. Um, it, you know, it's and choose what you like, seasonal. Like if it's a banana, you know, portion out the banana. Um, if it's, uh, you know, an apple, it's a half apple. If it's berries, it's a you know quarter to half cup at a time. So you know, there's definitely there's portions around that, but you know, fruit in moderation. Right. Um, and starch in moderation. So starch in the form of rice, brown rice, potatoes, sweet potatoes, couscous, quinoa tortillas, bread, you name it, you know, in that whole family is if it's like graining, if it's like a grain, then it's like one third cup cooked. And if it's a slice or like a tortilla, um, the big thing is to read the nutrition label and understand yeah. what is a serving? Is a serving one slice of bread? Is a serving two slices of bread? More than often than not, it's one slice of bread. Right. Um, and what is the carbohydrate? Look at the carbs, C-H-O. Look at the carbs on the label. If it's under 15 grams, you're good. If it's more than 15 grams, but closer to 15 grams, like 15 to 17, 18, you can get by. But if we're looking at one slice or one tortilla is like upwards of like 25 grams of carbs, don't forget, that's just the, that's just one thing. Then you top it and you add your, for example, a burrito. Right. So growing up in Texas and eating Mexican food. So you can, good. So right. Good. So good. And like <laughs> chips and queso and then enchiladas uh, on top of that. And then rice and beans with the enchilada on top of that. That is like. I may have eaten that like twice last week. I mean, it's my go-to. I know. I know. Like, I know. You know, how do you healthify that? So yeah, yeah. I totally. would say that the, really, 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 you could probably, you know, get a really great routine going if you control your fruits and you control your starch. Okay. And pretty much whenever you can just eat vegetables, not by itself, but include it in everything that you eat. Just right. if you're making an omelet and you have the ability to throw in some spinach or onions, do it. If you're making a salad and you can just, you know, scraps from the refrigerator. Great. Right. If you're, you know, making some protein and you, you can saute some vegetables and just put it on an oven, whatever it may be, throw it on there. If you're doing like lentils or stew or chili, sub in the veggies. If you're making a pasta sauce from scratch, throw it in and blend it up. If you're making meatballs, right. throw it in, hide it in, like just as much as you can to right. squeeze it in somehow. Um, I would say that try to optimize that as much as you can for yourself uh, and for your children. For your I family. think ever since I have, I mean, I've always been good about it. Obviously I'm veg, but ever since the kids, I'm like, 
I'm eating a lot more just because I'm pushing them, you know, yeah. like, and now understanding how we grow up. And sometimes I, and that's a whole other topic about how I'm nutrition with kids and trying to balance them out, which I think I'm doing, but who knows? I really want, actually wanted to quickly ask you this. I, this just popped up in my brain, the gluten thing, mm-hmm. which is another big topic. Sure. How come half my friends are allergic? What's happening? Um, so when we grew up in the 80s, we um, the, the form of wheat that was used in the majority of the breads um, that we would eat, you know, sandwiches, tortillas, whatever, was, um, I, I mean, the easiest way to say it is it wasn't authentic. Um, so like those who grew up in Italy processed, yes, heavily processed, um, a lot of alternative ingredients. And over time, our bodies don't have the ability to, you know, undo all of those, um, ingredients and, and even the, the, the processed wheat flours. So, and white flours. Um, and so we didn't grow And I mean, it could have just been like the nature of the food industry, right? We just, we didn't grow up having that authenticity to like what I would really say Europe or Italians have. Like, like you eat pasta in Italy, you don't see the same sort of epidemic behavior. It's Um, so true. Is it just an American thing? I went to, I was in Europe pre pandemic and stayed there for a couple of weeks with my, with my friend, they had a house there, blah, blah, blah. So we were, she was cooking, they were cooking every night. Right. I stay away from bread. I can't digest dairy anymore. Like all this stuff over here, Girl, I was in. I was there. I was eating bread. I was bread and cheese literally every day, yep. and no issue. Yeah, I mean, I, I can I can safely say that even like the pastas there, like they have the like, you know authentic einkorn like wheat flour, and like they just they they just don't process it the same way. Everything is more fresh. The shelf life is not as long. Like there's just so many things related to the way that their food industry operates um, that. People don't didn't our generation that has grown up. I would say since the food industry really took off, like in the late seventies, early eighties, we have really kind of we're like the guinea pigs of like all of that because now our bodies are seeing. I mean, I will say this: lactose intolerance. Everybody will have it at some form of life because we just start. We just don't have the um, enzymatic breakdown that we. Right. It's just it's with aging. That's normal. Fun, fun. But gluten. <laughs> And sadly, yeah, you're going to see, but what you're going to see is you might not always see everyone having a full blown allergy. You might just have see people saying, when I eat this, I feel bloated. I don't feel. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Got it. Okay. That makes me so mad. Like, why did we do this to Americans? Like, why did, why is it that we had to process things? I don't. But that comes back to this one thing on me is that if you were to test this, try eating gluten, you know, enjoy your gluten in portion, for example, slice of pizza not three slices of pizza. Right. Slice of toast, not a big sandwich. Start doing everything in portion and you will realize you can still eat gluten. Mm. And it will not, pro- if you don't have the allergy, if you're not like diagnosed with full-blown celiac, right. Right. you actually will be okay. You won't have the byproducts of gas and bloating and discomfort um, because you're eating it in the, in the right, um, in, in moderation. And that's really what our bodies need. Anything in excess, especially with something processed, we can't handle it the same way. It's just that, you know, the problem is taking that one slice and then stopping. My God, it's so good. But yes, okay. Portion control. Okay, so it's fall. 
as you know, kids are going back to school. We're full force again with work and, you know, not that we weren't in summer, but, you know, yeah. getting back to our crazy schedules. In particular, tips for moms, you know, to stay healthy. I, I know you, you mentioned a lot of great things, but in particular for moms, because I know for myself, I tend to skip my own appointments. Mm-hmm. I tend to, like, I haven't gone to the gynecologist in two years. Just stupid stuff. Yep. Tips for moms for the fall to just balance themselves. So I would say that, you know, I mean, at least from what I'm experiencing personally is dedicate time. If you have to plan, you know, a week at a time, because I think everybody gets overwhelmed when they see a calendar and they see all the commitments that are from kids sports or like holiday stuff or like, you know, local environment stuff, activities such as apple picking. I mean, there's so many things you want to do socially. Um, And so I think, you know, take it a week by week and dedicate a couple of days every week that focuses not, not, it's not about me time. It's about maximizing health time. So if if it's one hour and you know, you can dedicate that time to organize meals for the week, like sit down, figure out what you have in your fridge, figure out how many meals you can make with what you have. What do you need to order to supplement that? And how much can you make, you know, in the next coming days where you only have to cook two days a week, but you can maximize six meals out of it. Um, And that you're not, standing over the stove. Maybe your efficiency is flipping to the instant pot because you could just put things in or the slow cooker. Like how do you maximize time? It's like so my it's best like, friend, by the way, the instant pot. It's, it's amazing. amazing. I know. It's literally my I feel like thing. a chef because of it. Yes. Yeah. I made instant pot granola the other day. Like it's oh, just, it's so, so easy. Well, but, you're like a baker. Like you actually like make, I need to come over. You yes. I, I, I yes. Love, I'm like a huge baker. I was actually yes. going to say my other, like for example, one thing I end up doing is I make a ton of mini muffins, like I make big, big, big trays of mini muffins and I freeze them. And so in the mornings when the kids are like my older son's in school and he has his bus comes early, I'm like just a mini muffin stuffed into his mouth. And I put like, you know, shredded coconut in there. I'll do flax in there or I'll do like, you know, um, a carrot raisin version of it or something so that it's just something. Yeah. Um, so that's part of the meal prep. So like kind of organizing yourself um, and some of the work you do week one can last until week four. So you might realize that like you don't have to do that much for the for the month. Um, the other thing is carve out time for movement. It's not about exercise. It's about movement. So right. if you're working at your desk and you're not having to commute, schedule breaks to, to walk. Um, you know, I think that whether it's taking a phone call um, and walking around if you don't have to be on a Zoom call or dedicating time either you know, as soon as the kids go to school, and it doesn't have to be long. It's like 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Right, right. You know, I don't ever, ever tell people they have to to spend more than 30 minutes really getting a dedicated workout in. And we we don't need to. If we're eating healthy, we actually don't need to work out so much. It's not like you need to be at CrossFit every day, like, and and go crazy. Right. Yeah, some kind of movement scheduled in. um, And that could come in eight. You could be walking with your kid to his baseball practice, or you could be picking up your child from school and walking there. So it's, 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 it could be an eight, but it just has to, it has to be dedicated. Um, And I would say the third thing is, you know, prioritize if you can sleep, but not in a way that I'm like, Oh, you guys need more sleep. Well, duh, everyone needs more sleep. Yeah. Pick a day where, you know, you've got nothing in the morning, find a way to schedule. Maybe, you know, if it's like hiring a morning babysitter or, you know, maybe taking off with your spouse, or if you have some live in help, everybody has different um, care, you know, caregiving situations or grandparents, you know, the kids can go sleep over like something where you can just dedicate 
even if it's not sleeping in eight hours, it's like sleeping in an hour and moving slow and starting your day a little bit more slower, mindful. Um, right. Yes. So um, I think that every you may not get that every week, but once in every two weeks, if you can kind of get that slow down pace, um, I think that it will help stress levels, anxiety levels. It will help meltdowns for us, you know, in our sort of, you know. Right. Um, right. Oh my God. Sleep is like my enemy right now, which I shouldn't call. I should be positive. I know. But anyway, that's, that's a whole other I podcast I episode. Preach, I can't preach any of this. This is all things I'm currently working on. Right. Myself. Right. No, but we need to just remind ourselves. Like, I think right now for me, I'm struggling the most with sleep, which can affect so much to, Sadly, in your, yeah, to your body. Nutrition. Yes. Yeah. nutrition wise. I know, I know it. And I'm just, I'd rather, honestly, if I had a choice whether to work out right now and or get good sleep, I would choose to get good sleep. I just Me too. So I want to get a little personal here yeah. um, and ask you your advice because I also want to make sure if people want to re- reach out to you, you know, we, we're going to put your, your info um, in the podcast and in my notes. So I'll quickly tell you, you know, we kind of touched on a little bit, but I'll quickly tell you what I'm going through and maybe you can quickly give me some some pointers I can start focusing on to perhaps improve these issues. Sure. Now, one is just, as we said, you age, it becomes 80% nutrition, 20% working out. You kind of t- touched on that. And that's what I'm struggling with. Like, it's not like I've become overweight or anything, but I just cannot lose it anymore. Like it's not, I'm doing, I think I'm doing everything I can trying to cut out the carbs, the the fruit, all the, all that stuff, and then working out whenever I can. But it doesn't seem to be budging. And so for someone like me, who's 42, who's always been healthy, always been active, and now all of a sudden it's like stopped, I feel like, even though I think I'm trying besides the wine, any other tips that you could give me? That's the first thing. And then the second thing is the inflammatory issue. So I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis about a year and a half ago. My dad has it. He had it. He got it when he was 40. And so right now I'm on medication. I've talked to many doctors about causes and, and, and you know, is it genetic? Is it, is it diet? Is it stress? And everyone t- is telling me different things. And so if you could talk a little bit towards that. Absolutely. Um, the first thing is, yes, things do slow down as we age, even if we're trying the same formula. So, you know, upon hearing this, the, the, this fast response would be like, let's switch the formula. Let's, right. let's, let's change your, your day schedule up. So I would say, you know, whether if, uh, you know, there's things like circadian rhythm, fasting or intermittent fasting, and there's extreme versions of them and there's more balanced versions of them. And, and 80% of the time you could do a balanced version. So for example, um, you know, eat at like, start eating at like 839, space it out and have smaller frequent meals so that you're having like a snack around 1030, 11, maybe lunch around 1231, maybe another mid-afternoon snack around 334, and then maybe dinner around 637, but capping yeah. your last meal at, to end by 730. That's and this, hard. That part it's is hard. hard. It's a struggle. Right. I mean, I've been trying. So what I've been doing, Anita, so I've been trying to do the the eleven seven thing. What's it called? The diet where you eat for from like seven a.m. to five p.m. or whatever. Oh, yeah, or, oh, eight sorry. Hour, six, yeah, eleven a.m. to seven p.m. Right? Yeah. So I've, done, yeah. I've done that. Uh, I do it like weeks at a time. Then I take a break. Weeks at a time, take a break. Again, this is my own formula, in my own head. And then at night, I have issues of wanting to munch. 
Of course. Like it's so hard. And so I just decided I'm like, instead of like grabbing for the bucket of like Froyo or whatever, I get celery or I get like something where I'm like, okay, it's not too many calories Mm -hmm. and like light Italian dressing, which I know is not great, but that's the one thing I'm like, okay, at least I can do something where I'm craving it because I'm usually awake at night doing the podcast stuff. Sure. Yeah. So I'm like, I don't know what else to do to make up for that just carnal need. And then I started drinking water with electrolytes uh-huh. to like give me some kind of flavor. And, flavor and, yeah. and then the gum thing, which is like, I have like TMJ because I'm like, I can't keep chewing gum at night. This is ridiculous. <laughs> so, like, oh gum, yeah. so how can I curve, curve that, uh, that craving? Uh, so one, it's likely coming from two things. One, your body is tired. Um, and two, you haven't eaten enough calories throughout the day because you haven't given your body enough energy to sustain itself to stay up late at night. So if you're doing the 11 to 7 on those particular days, you need to eat more in the 11 to 7 window. Okay. So increasing like this, things like nuts, nut butters, um, if you don't have allergies to those or, you know, seeds, um, chia seeds, hemp seeds, finding ways to like incorporate these things. Um, you know, steel cut oats is something that I eat every day. It's just becoming ingrained in me because when I was diagnosed with prediabetes, even though I don't, I, I didn't have any of this other signs of it. Um, I started to switch to seal cut oats and it is literally my staple every morning. And it, it, I feel full and I eat a, you know, a proper bowl of it, um, a portion of it. And so I think that there's, it, you know, optimizing the, figuring out what foods help you stay full longer and including those in the 11 to seven window, because it's a very restrictive window time for you to eat. And many people just will think that, okay, I'll start at 11 and I'll start at seven, but they forget what happens before 11, what happens after seven. And so then they just, the day goes by and then all of a sudden at seven, they're like, I've stopped eating, but they, they don't even step to think like, can I eat enough? Was there enough yeah. food in my, in my system? Like, yeah. how am I going to sustain? Cause this? who has time to think about that? Exactly. You know? It all goes back to yeah. that. I know. Yeah. I know. So eating, eating more during that time. Yeah. My, my, my big thing was you need to maximize daytime calories. Um, and, and, and obviously, you know, healthy suggestions would be, you know, you could do a lactose free yogurt with some nuts. You could do something like a, there's like paleo Nola. There's like nuts and seeds blends. You can just get and sprinkle on top. You could do a thin sliced toast, like Dave's killer bread, various brands like that have like thin sliced bread. You could smash some avocado, some chili oil. You could do nut butter mm. and some chia seeds or hemp seeds. Um, you know, have quarter. See, that would be it. satisfying to me. That would yeah, be totally fine. Totally. I just don't yeah. think about the options. Like I don't even like, it's too, I don't have time to think about these things. So. Yeah. So having, having yourself almost armed with a list of things that you could gravitate right. to, to eat and the portion of that, um, you know, as you're going throughout your day will be easier for you because then you're at least getting the calories in. So that's not translating to like 9 p.m. binge hunger. You know what I'm saying? Mm, yeah. I like it. I got to make a list. I'm just going to come to your house. Yeah. Oh, I have a lot. Of, I have a lot. I do chocolate covered almonds sometimes. Oh my God. That's like, that's my, I have two a day. It's just kind of like my age. I was okay. I can have a couple. It's fine. Yeah. It makes me feel yeah, better. Yeah. It's pretty substantial. So you can have a, like, you know, a good handful, like four or five. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, maybe I'll start doing that. But yeah, like I said, it's not nothing crazy. I'm still healthy. It's fine. It's just, and I also have to accept the fact that I've had two kids. My body's changed. Like, changed. like it's not going to be the same bone structure. Yeah, pregnancy does different things right. to our bodies too. And yeah, to go to your, to touch base on the colitis piece, um, you know, the question, I would say that, you know, the big thing about inflammation is, is that when you already have existing inflammation in your body, how do we limit external inflammation? And that's really stress. Um, 
And also, how do we go in periods of time where we're inconsistent with what we eat? So something with like Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis really requires a very um, structured routine eating and not wavering from that. Um, Typically something low acid, you know, like low in caffeine, low in chocolate, low in tomatoes, low in like the typical caffeinated triggers, um, less um, acidic food, um, you know, really focusing on like a neutral pH. Um, Right. So it's, it's. Requires a little bit more, you know, um, sitting down and kind of working out a proper meal plan. But definitely, I would say that, the, like you said, like we don't know what has triggered okay. this onset for you. Right. But kind of working with the stress, which is external, working with diet, which can make it consistent. Um, and obviously, you know, you're on medication. So like. Right. Which I, you know, I don't. I come from the old school of thought. I'm not a medication person. Uh, I've turned into, you know, one that doesn't want to take medication. So the goal is to get off it. My dad was able to get off it in five years and, he, and oh, he's wow. been off it for at least 75, 30 years now, but based That's on amazing. diet. He also doesn't drink caffeine or wine or anything, right? Like, so I, am I willing to give up alcohol and, and coffee? No, I know I have to like lower it, you know, and like- totally. I love spicy food and I know the triggers. I can tell it's stress in the food because when I am stressed or I'm out on vacation, you know, not caring, I can, it triggers for sure, you know? And so um, the medication obviously helps. It's just, you know, it's been a year and a half and I want to start thinking about how to get off it without totally eliminating the fun things in in my diet. Well, yeah. And you also are going to have periods of life where you're going to get like more inflammation and less inflammation. Like you're going to have more triggers and less triggers. So I think that that's um, something to pay attention to. Like when you kind of, what's happening externally when these triggers, like I'm feeling more discomfort and then kind of fixing it as much as you can. Yeah. I think a lot of mine is stress and I'm like, it's like constant. Well, yeah, that's the other thing. We're always about something, right? (laughs) I think we're tired of being stressed. Awesome. This was awesome. So if people wanted to get hold of you, what's the best way? Um, So I have my own website. It's my first name and last name.com, anitamerchandani.com. Okay. Um, I I know you'll have it spelled out. Yep. Yep. Um, And, you know, there'll be several ways to, I mean, I do have an Instagram. It's fit, not Anita. I probably should post more, but time. Um, so social media is uh, so tiring. I can't even handle it. I'm like, everyone's like, why aren't you posting more episodes? I'm like, just, I don't know. (laughs) I I know it's a lot, but it's it's stressful posting. You're like, I do post some fun things. I just, I just don't do it consistently. So I'm working on it. Everything is good. Another way to get hold of you though. Yes, yes, yes. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And I mean, there's more updates, you know, hopefully coming in life, but, uh, in the interim, that would be, I'd love to hear from, you know, anyone who's interested, you know, I do have a strong background in women's health. And so if you're South Asian, especially, and you want to be able to figure out what's going on in your life because your parents gave you stuff and you don't know how to deal with it, um, join the club. Yeah. No kidding. I mean, when I was in Texas last week and I saw, and it's so bad now, I feel like I need to actually calm down, but my kids, you know, we were on vacation at my, you know, Nana Nani's house and Goldfish Mama's house and, and my parents gave I was I went to Austin. My parents gave them Pop Tarts for breakfast. I'm like, it's fine. They never get it. But like for for and I didn't say anything, but internally I got like I got a little bit of like like anxiety that they had a Pop Tart. And I'm like, I know it's fine. 
you know, but I, I'm just so like, I feel like I'm so traumatized by like how much we ate and how bad it was, you know, that I'm like trying, I'm going the other way now, which I also not need to do. I can't do that. I know. I actually, I was looking back at life and, you know, my first son didn't have chocolate or candy until like three almost. And my younger one, like he was like, it was chocolate was like second nature. (laughs) You know, it was like, it was like, where's my cake? It's fine. Yeah, exactly. So I think, you know, like I said to you, everything comes back into finding ways to balance it. Like I give the kids, you know, chocolate covered almonds and that's chocolate. And there's some nuts involved. You know, there's just, just right. work. We have to work on the creativity on it. And yeah, the cre- yeah. The kids will like it, but you know, I'm working on that. The creativity I'm getting, I'm where I focus with the kids for sure. I just need to make sure I'm not passing. I feel like I'm passing down my food anxiety to them. Totally. Totally. And I, right. I can just kind of sense it with Anya when she kind of hesitates on things. I'm like, you're at a birthday party. Please eat cake. Cause yeah. then during the week, I'm like, no sugar. I give them one treat a day. Sure. Right? So like at school, I'll give them two Oreo cookies or something fun. Totally. Totally. Because they should have it. Yes. But then when they're at home, it's dinner and then nighttime, you know, it's milk and and that's it. Whatever. But yeah, I'm feeling it a little bit. I'm like, oh shit, I hope I'm not passing this down. Well, that's the thing. So, I mean, as long as we can... I mean, I, I I can't even go that route yet. I have to first say we have to figure out. I know we've got I two know. decades of stuff that we have to <laughs> that we have to process. So, I so. know lots of pop tarts in our bodies yeah. and chewy chips ahoy for sure. So you're saying that three cups of coffee plus whatever wine consumption happens in this house may not help my inflammation. Interesting. Great talk with Anita. I think we could all use some great advice on how to keep our day-to-day a little bit healthier. You can check her out at anithamirchandani.com. I'll write that in my notes. And you can follow her at fitnutanitha for some interesting updates on fitness and nutrition. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. You can follow me at tucker.podcast. Tuck it out with Ami.com. I will see you fools next week. Thank you for listening. This is Tuckered Out. Hold up. 